I'm happy to be up here this morning. I'm excited. I think the Lord's got a good word for us. Um, I want to tell you, too, that uh, um, feedback isn't a bad thing. If, you, uh, if I say something and you agree with it, you can shout out an amen, and I'm going to tell you, you're not affirming me. You're affirming that you believe God's word, that it is true. So you're, you're allowed to do that. If uh, you got a problem, if I say something wrong, I also expect feedback from that too, but right here might not be the best setting for that. You might want to <laughs> catch me when I step down and uh, um, down on the floor, but at uh, any rate, feedback is good. shows God that you're affirming that you agree with His truth. Um, so, um, got the opportunity this morning to uh, uh, share with you from God's Word. I'm very excited about it. Um, I'm not a, uh, 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 a note guy, well, no, so you're not going to have much on the screen, um, although it's interesting because if, those of you who know how I prepare, um, my sermon is usually never done until midnight Saturday night, and sometimes I brush it up a little bit Saturday morning. Well, uh, Frank told me in June that I'd be preaching. He gave me the passage that he wanted me to preach on, gave me all kind of time to prepare. So I'm happy to say I got done earlier than normal. I was in bed at 11.45 last night. <laughs> got 15 minutes early, on, uh, done early on my preparation. So uh, it's just the way my head works. I don't know why. But, uh, um, so um, I don't have a whole, I'm not going to have slides, but those of you who are note takers, I'll give you just a couple things that I think are worthy of writing down. And the first one I would like you to write down, if you feel like it, is piercing the darkness. Piercing the darkness. Uh, that is a phrase we don't hear too often, I expect. And uh, um, my prayer for today is that God would give us a new, deep understanding of what that phrase means and how to then apply it to our lives. So, piercing the darkness. So, we're talking about darkness. I think it's pretty easy to understand what physical darkness is. It is the absence of light. Uh, my family and I were sitting out on our uh, patio uh, Friday night, um, just uh, uh, enjoying the time together, and it was after 9 o'clock, so of course I was falling asleep, because uh, I kind of work with the sun. When the sun goes down, I need to go down, or I'm going to fall, you know, fall down. Um, so anyway, we were out there enjoying the night, and except for the little bit of light around our patio, we were surrounded by darkness. Uh, it was not complete darkness, a complete lack of light. Um, I have experienced that before in my life, though. Uh, years ago, we took a family trip to the Shenandoah Valley, and uh, we took a uh, tour of the caverns down there. And uh, once inside the uh, cavern, we got down uh, far enough that uh, their little uh, uh, explanation they were going to give to us would work, and the tour guide turned off the lights. And it was dark. It was a complete lack of darkness. And they were, they were quick to tell us that um, your eyes will never adjust here. You will never see anything. And if you were stuck in here, uh, you would go crazy. And then you would eventually die. And I'm holding on to my little kids here. And I can feel them squeezing my hands tighter and tighter. And uh, I knew there was relief in the room when the lights came back on. That was complete darkness. I think it's easy to understand uh, the physical darkness is the absence of light. Uh, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about piercing the darkness. We're talking about a spiritual darkness. Um, 
little um, that that might be a little bit more difficult to find, but I to define. But I am sure that you have heard words. You've probably used these words sometime in your life. That maybe you were experiencing a dark season of your soul, um, or maybe the the term "dark days" uh, brings up some memories, uh, um, or uh, maybe just you feel like there's a darkness over you. Maybe you've heard somebody say that. I'm sure these phrases do not conjure up good thoughts or memories, but recollections of sorrow, hurt, struggles, pain, loneliness, and the presence of oppressive evil that you have experienced. So if physical darkness is the absence of light, what is spiritual darkness? How are we to find it? Well, I want to I read a uh, verse uh, for you from uh, John 8.12. Jesus spoke to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So I think we can define spiritual darkness as the absence of Jesus. Now keep in mind, when I was sitting on my porch the other night, I experienced a degree of darkness that was different than the degree of darkness that I experienced in that cave. Um, we will all experience some spiritual darkness, the, the, uh, um, the absence of Jesus, but it would be a rare very bad time if you ever have to experience complete spiritual darkness. But all of us have or will experience different degrees of spiritual darkness. So, I find myself now, the older I get, appreciating the beauty and splendor of God's creation. And by the way, my children remind me often how old I am getting. So just to let you know. Um, so they, I just enjoying the God's creation more and more. Um, the colors in the sunrise and the sunset... In the spring on our property, our place is dotted with reds and pinks and yellows and the deepest greens you've ever seen. It's beautiful. Um, all from the beautiful plants and trees that God created. I am impressed with the intricacies of our bodies. I'm impressed with the boundless sky at night and the warmth of relationships and, uh, with those around me. This glorious being that we call Savior, Jesus, and by the way, Genesis doesn't say Jesus uh, created all things, but we know that from uh, uh, the New Testament that uh, uh, it says, for by Him, through Him, and for Him were all things made. So Jesus was there in Genesis. Uh, he made the creation. So this glorious being, Jesus, the Creator, is, uh, um, He has got more creativity and power uh, than any other and truly has made something here that is wonderful and awesome. And as he said, as he stood back after he created the world, the universe, and said, it is good, I echo those words. And I look around and say, God, this is good. So if this creation is so good, where does the spiritual darkness come from? I don't know if you've ever wondered that, thought that question. Now, uh, unfortunately for you, um, I am not deep enough or smart enough to understand or, or um, to explain the origin of evil but I can tell you who is responsible for the spiritual darkness that we deal with every day. Who is responsible for that darkness? It is the devil. The devil was the enemy of God and is the enemy of everything good. I, I want to clarify for you quickly. He is not God's equal and he is not God's opposite. He is just God's enemy. There is none that is equal to God, the Lord God Almighty. He and he alone is God, stands alone, no one compares to him. He is awesome. But the devil is the enemy of God. Therefore, he is our enemy. Say, so do you know what the enemy's plan is? 
if you remember this, if you know the story, uh, the devil was cast out of heaven uh, because of a rebellion. He rebelled against God. He was jealous. He wanted the glory and honor that, that God was uh, getting. He wanted to put himself up on God's level. Um, so he was cast out. He is still full of uh, envy, jealousy of God, and full of rage and fury now as well. And uh, ultimately, his plan is to steal the glory from God. He does not want God to get the glory. How does he do that? He, destroys, uh, he does that by destroying what was made by God and what is precious to God. He wants to destroy everything that is good in this life. He wants to steal everything that is good in your life. He wants to steal your life, to steal your joy, to steal your family, to steal your children, to ruin your relationships, ruin your testimony. He wants to take away any and every good thing that God has made or provided in this life. Why does he want to do that? Because he is an enemy of God and all that is good, and he wants to steal the glory that belongs to God. Now let me say the powers of darkness, the kingdom of this world is at war with the kingdom of God. But before I go on, let me spoil the end. Does anybody ever get a book and go to the end first to see how it, how it ends? Um, I'm not one of those guys, but I'm going to spoil the story for you today. Jesus wins. That's not a spoiler, is it? There is war between the kingdom of darkness and uh, uh, the kingdom of light, but Jesus wins. He has won the victory already. So... Um, I told you I appreciate God's creation more now than ever, and I'm, um, I, I notice it more now than ever. And in contrast, the more I appreciate His creation, the more I recognize the darkness that is in this life. There's um, hurt, struggles, addiction, crime, death, and destruction. And all those things I just mentioned having to do with the, uh, the darkness, that was not what God had planned or designed for this world. He created this world good to be a great thing for uh, His honor and glory, but it is nonetheless a part of it now. So this is a deep topic and uh, something for another time, but I want you to consider all that is good, all that is beautiful, all that is strong and edifying and encouraging, everything that brings life, everything that brings honor and glory to God is of the kingdom of God. I want you to consider that. And everything that else... Everything else that is not of the kingdom of God is from the kingdom of darkness. So um, just wanted to throw that plug in there about the kingdom of God, maybe get you interested in it a little bit. So I want to make it clear to you again, the kingdoms and powers of darkness are no match for Jesus and the kingdom of God. So I want to give you a little example. And again, we're talking about piercing the darkness. I want to keep coming back to that. I want to give you a visual of piercing the darkness. Um, as I was growing up as a teenager, I worked on a farm and I stacked more bales of hay and straw than I can begin to count. Um, one, of the, one of the barns we stacked full was on the Delaney farm. And uh, that place was ruled by rats. They were everywhere. They chewed the strings off the bales. You'd grab a bale and pull and the strings would come off in your hands. There was, here's an appropriate word, residue right? That's a good word. Residue from the rats all over the barn. They ruled the barn until we opened the doors. And we opened the doors and the rats would scurry down in the holes in the ground and back in the walls and they would disappear. Why? Because we pierced their darkness and they were fleeing from the light. Um, I'm going to give you another visual. We've been having some trouble with some uh, uh, not-so-nice guys that have been uh, prowling around our house at night, and uh, they've been uh, borrowing things from us. 
I'm sure they'll bring them back one day because I'm sure they're good people. But uh, borrowing things from us and uh, just messing with our peace. Um, we never quite know when they'll be out there, but there's signs of them uh, uh, gathered around. What makes them run is light. You turn the light on, it pierces the darkness, and they scramble like rats. Scramble and disappear into the holes in the ground. And uh, that is a picture of piercing the darkness. That's physical darkness. I want to talk about spiritual darkness. So when Jesus walked on this earth, He pierced spiritual darkness. Evil spirits that possessed and oppressed humans would tremble in His presence and obeyed His every command. Raging seas that threatened the life of helpless fishermen uh, calmed at the hearing of His voice. Disease and death, no match for Jesus and the power of the kingdom of God. The very elements that make up this vast universe obey His whisper and the plans of the enemy to steal God's glory are thwarted always in the presence of Jesus. Piercing the darkness. Jesus pierces the darkness. So, um, those of you who read your bulletin every week are probably thinking, I thought he was going to be talking about Daniel. wonder if he changed his mind or something like that. No, I didn't change my mind. We didn't change things. Um, I wanted to, we're, we're going to look at Daniel, but I wanted to uh, introduce you to the thought of piercing the darkness and having you think about that before we, we go to Daniel. I want to read one more verse to you um, from the New Testament before we go to Daniel to give you something to think about. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. So think about that for a minute. I'm going to read it again. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. Uh, Matthew West is a singer-songwriter, and he's got a song out uh, uh, nowadays, and many of them, but one of them is called Do Something. And in this song, he starts out singing about the atrocities and the suffering that he sees in this world. And I don't recommend this, but he said he shakes his fist at heaven and says, God, when are you going to do something? And the answer is, I did. I created you. Think about those thoughts. Matthew says, you are the light of the world. And I know that song isn't right from Scripture, but it's biblically based. What does God do about the suffering atrocities? I did something. I created you. Keep that in mind. So, and that song is a, a great reminder from the truth of Jesus that you are the light of the world. So, you might wonder, how in the world can that be? Um, how can we be the light of the world? I just read a passage to you earlier that said Jesus is the light of the world, right? So how can we be the light of the world if Jesus said He's the light of the world? It's wonderful, wonderful truth here that I want to remind you of this morning. Uh, Jesus entered into a covenant relationship with His church, the children of God. That's you and me, any of us that have accepted His gift that He gave to us, um, the gift of right standing with the Father. And the words Jesus spoke to His disciples regarding this covenant remain as true today as they were 2,000 plus years ago. And we see those words in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. And Jesus said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you hear that? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That should excite you. That's a wonderful truth that Jesus is with us. But it makes more sense now if Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he says, I am with you to the end of the day. It makes sense how we then are the light of the world because we got Jesus with us. Wonderful truth. Wonderful truth. All right, now we'll get to Daniel. I'm going to tell you a quick story before we get into Daniel. Um, 
we have a, a, a son adopted from Ethiopia, Nagatu. He's a, a wonderful young man. He's uh, fitting into our family well. He's a true blessing uh, to have with us. We're learning from him. Hopefully, he's learning from us. And, um, and he's doing well with the language, but he doesn't always understand everything correctly when people talk to him. Doesn't understand the words properly sometimes. So um, he came home from church one day, and he was in the... Uh, uh, the uh, Sunday school class that Alan Roster Holtz and uh, Daryl Higgins teach, and they do a great job. And although I was wondering about him this day, so Nagatu came home and uh, very excited after church, and he said, "Dad, there's a guy in the Bible called a Billy Goat." And, and some of, and some of you might have heard this story already. If you had to suffer through my preaching a year ago, you might have heard this already. But uh, um, he said, "Dad, there's a man in the Bible called a Billy Goat, named the Billy Goat." And I'm thinking, "Wow." I don't recognize that one. I know a lot of names in the Bible, but I don't recognize that one. And I'm starting to think, man, what in the world is he being taught here in Sunday school? I'm going to have to go confront uh, Ruster, Holtz, and Higgins and find out what's going on here, right? So I said, uh, I didn't want to jump to conclusions. So I said, son, tell me a little bit about this. Tell me the story. Tell me something about it. So he said, okay, Dad. Well, there was these three guys, and uh, they were supposed to uh, bow down before this, uh, uh, this uh, fake god, and if they didn't, they'd be thrown into a fiery furnace. And uh, he said they didn't. They got thrown in, and their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. Good story. So a billy goat. So from now on, I'm going to consider, uh, I'm going to call our guy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going to use the amazing three for him, or I'm going to call him Shad, Shack, and Billy. And you'll understand why I call him Billy now, because uh, uh, my son. So... Um, from the account of uh, these three amazing men, faithful servants of God, I think we can learn uh, how we can be a part of piercing the darkness. So um, I don't, it's a whole lot of information there, and I encourage you, if you haven't done it already, to go home and read at least the first couple chapters of Daniel and help all this, help, uh, this to make more sense to you. But I'm going to give you a quick overview of, uh, of Daniel. We'll start out in chapter 1. Um, the people of Judah had once again turned from God. And I'm going to stop there just real quickly and give a little note. What turns us away from God? It's influence, and you wouldn't use the same words I do, influence from the power of darkness. The powers of darkness want to turn you away from God. Let me tell you, every influence in your life is either from the, the kingdom of darkness or it's from the kingdom of God. And if it's from the kingdom of darkness, it wants to entice you away from God. And that's what is happening to Judah at this time. Not that all the blame goes to the kingdom of darkness. The blame sits right here on us because we are the ones that make the decision. But it's the influence from the power of the darkness that makes us stray from God. So Judah had strayed from God and uh, um, God had stepped back from them, and Jerusalem was sacked by the uh, uh, Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. So many of the people were killed. Um, uh, most were deported to a foreign land to assimilate into a new culture, and a few of the weak and destitute were left to fend for themselves. So out of the ones that were deported and brought back to Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted the, uh, the best of the best to be brought into his palace. He wanted them to be taught the ways of the Babylonians and to uh, be trained up to be advisors and leaders for him. Um, and this is where we're introduced to Daniel and his three friends. So, um, and these, these guys were young at the time, maybe 16, maybe younger than that. They were young men, uh, young men, maybe old boys, however you want to look at it, uh, at this time uh, when they were brought into this palace to, to be trained up. Um, 
So the, uh, uh, the king brought them into the palace and wanted to give them um, a portion of his food and a portion of his wine so they'd be nurtured and they could grow and uh, gain strength from that. And um, so I want to point out to think about that for a minute. That's what they had. The king had a portion set aside for them. Um, these four guys refused that. And why did they refuse that? Because... Um, because they knew that if they took this portion provided for them by the king, it would defile them. And what does that mean? Uh, it would displease God. How did they know that? And this is, this is uh, if, if you like to take notes, I'll give you something you can write down. Um, if you want to be part of piercing the darkness, you must know God's word. And I'm going to say God's word. You can interchange that with will because I think they're one and the same. Uh, when I talk about God's word, it's this. We need to know God's Word. Um, when I talk about His will, we find it in here. Um, so we need, to know God's, we need to know God's Word. And uh, um, shows, chapter 1 shows evidence that these, these four men know God's Word. They did not want to take this portion provided for them by the king because it would defile them. Uh, what does that mean? What's it mean to be defiled? Well, if you, you know the Old Testament laws, they had to be careful about what they ate and how they acted and what they touched and what they did uh, to be uh, because they were set apart as a holy people that uh, were, were acceptable to God. And so they knew that taking uh, this portion would defile them. It would be an act of disobedience and displeasing to God. So they refused to take that, and, and the Lord blessed them in that decision. Things worked out well for them, but it's, it's, uh, uh, they, they showed evidence there that they knew God's Word. So if we uh, jump up here to Daniel uh, chapter 3, and I will read some of the verses to you, but it's just such a long passage. I don't want to um, consume all the time with the reading. I'll leave that for you. But, um, so we, in, in chapter 3, we get to the point where Daniel's out of the picture for a, a period of time. It just not mentioned in here, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are uh, now leaders in Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar, um, who has proved to be a pretty irrational, impetuous guy, king full of rage and pride, and not the friendliest guy you probably want to be around, has set up a giant statue that's 60 feet tall, it's nine feet wide, and it's covered with gold, and Nebuchadnezzar's command is... I'm going to have my guys play some music here, and when the music is played, you all, everyone, is going to bow down and worship this statue. Well, um, once again, the, uh, uh, what happens here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abilagot refuse, I should say Abednego, shouldn't I? Um, the three men refuse to bow down and worship this idol. Why is that? Well, I think once again it's because they know God's Word. They were brought up, they studied His Word, they were trained in it. Um, they knew the law. They probably knew what we, we uh, know as Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. They realized that bowing down before this statue, statue would be idolatry it is, and it would be disobedient and displeasing to God. So they, uh, um, they knew God's Word and they uh, knew that bowing down to this idol uh, would, uh, would not be pleasing to God. So um, that's where we are in the story. I want to just throw out two other little notes here that if you want to write down. Um, pray for your leaders. 
Um, the Bible tells us to do that in 1 Timothy 2.1, encourages us to pray for our leaders. I don't know if it's even encouragement or a command to pray for your leaders. Right now, we should be thankful because we are not ruled by a dictator that tells us who and what we can worship. Or uh, we are not in a, wor- uh, in a uh, country yet where we are persecuted for our beliefs or because of what we worship and we still have the freedoms to do that. I think daily we need to thank God for our freedoms, but just as important as that, we need to pray for our leaders that God would use them to lead His people in paths of righteousness, uh, to be an influence for the kingdom of God and not an influence for the kingdom of darkness that would lead the country away from God. So pray for your leaders. Um, I want to also give you one other thing. Be ready for opposition. Knowing God's Word uh, prepares you to be ready for opposition. And I'll be honest, sometimes I cause most of the opposition in my life, unfortunately. But there are times when you get opposition and it's not caused by what you've done, but because what you believe in and who you serve and who you worship. Be ready for opposition. It's going to come. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, I'm going to go back to the story. So, so these three men who were told to um, uh, bow down and worship this idol, told by this uh, irrational king, said, not, not going to do it. We're not going to do it because it's displeasing to God. And on the, on the subject of be ready for opposition, um, I'm going to read to you here just a little bit about the opposition that they faced. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And now these Chaldeans were uh, um, Babylonians. They were, another word for them could be astrologer. They were the wise men of Babylon. And we'll see in here that they were very envious of the, well, you see throughout here that they were envious of the position and the blessings that these, these three Jews, Jewish people, um, had, um, had been blessed with. So, Um, So these Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You made, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, you made a a decree that everyone who um, here needs to bow down to this this idol that you've you've made and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And he goes on to... uh, um, point the three out that did not. He said, oh, king, see those three over there? They're not doing what you told them to do. Um, they were facing opposition. We need to be ready to face opposition. Uh, you will face it one way or the other. And like I said, sometimes we bring it on ourselves. Other times it is because um, people just do not like what we believe, who we worship, and don't like the, uh, the God that we serve. So uh, pray for your leaders. Be ready for opposition. So... Um, so that was the uh, first thing. If you want to be a part of piercing the spiritual darkness, you need to know God's will. Um, the second, uh, second thing I'll tell you is that we, that we learned from these three is we need to obey God's word. And once again, you can interchange word and will. That so you can obey God's word, obey God's will. Um, and I already said it. These men did not bow down. They did not compromise uh, what they knew to be right. In the face of danger... They did what was pleasing to God. Um, they, were not, um, they were not looking out what was for best, best for them. They were looking out to be true to the Word of God, to the things that they knew were pleasing to Him, um, and uh, um, did not want to do anything that was displeasing to Him or that would defile them. 
Just one quick note, if you want to put it underneath that, to know God's Word, do fear men. Um, there probably was a little bit of fear in those men, but they revered God more than they feared the king. So um, we need to trust in the Lord. Matthew ten twenty eight, uh, words of Jesus. He said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear, or you can use the word revere, the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying, don't fear man, revere God, revere the, uh, the Father. So, um, so we need to know God's will, we need to obey God's will, and there's a third thing I think we can learn from uh, these three men, the amazing three here. We need to have the correct motivation. So if you uh, remember, I talked about the enemy and what ultimately his goal is, is to steal the glory from God. Um, he's jealous of him. Um, he, wants, he wants that glory, does not want God to get it. Um, so keep that in mind. That's what the plan of the enemy is. So if we look at the temptation or, or the uh, influence these men could have had from uh, the, the, uh, uh, the kingdom of darkness, you think if these men compromise the truth, if they bow down before the idol, then they ruin their testimony. Right? You understand that? That's a victory for the darkness. They've ruined their testimony. Um, if they do this, then God is not worshipped. This fake idol is worshipped. Once again, another victory for the darkness. And they do not provide an opportunity for God to be glorified through their lives. So um, that would be if these men, there might have been more than that, but if these men would have given in and done what they were uh, asked to do, which they knew was not right, they would have uh, earned a victory for the uh, kingdom of darkness and uh, opportunity for God's glory would be taken away. So um, we'll get, I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read from uh, verse 16 to 18 in, in chapter 3 here. I want to look at the response of these three men. Because the king gives them another opportunity. He says, okay, that might have been a mistake on your part the first time. We're going to play the music again. We're going to give you the opportunity to bow down and worship again. And you're going to do it this time. And then you're not going to be thrown in the fire, right? Trying to convince them. Now, actually, he said, you're going to do it or I'm going to throw you in the fire. So I'm going to read the response that uh, these three men uh, had to the king, starting in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Though they had the... Uh, uh, I think they had the correct motivation here. They were not fearing men. They were revering God. And I, I love the answer there. They're basically saying, the king's saying, all right, you got another chance. And the, and the men are like, you know what? We don't even need to talk about it. We gave you our answer. We're going to do the same thing. If you're going to throw us in the fire, go ahead. God can save us. He might not, but I know he can. But that's our answer. We don't even need to talk about it. And... Uh, um, because they were concerned about that. They had the right motivation. They were not trying to save their skin or do what was important or, or best for them. They were trying to do what was best and pleasing uh, to God. So as a result of the, uh, once again, this answer, 
no, we're going to do the right thing. Nebuchadnezzar heats up the furnace. Um, he binds the three in ropes and has his, uh, um, has his uh, soldiers throw them into the furnace. Um, so what does God do? We talk about piercing the darkness, and there's some things that, there's some things that we can do. Um, the piercing the darkness does not depend fully on us, uh, which I think you understand when we get through, but there's some things we can do. We need to uh, know God's uh, Word. We need to obey God's Word. We need to have the correct motivation. The rest of it's up to God. And we're going to see what God does do. So uh, what does He do? Um, he shows up. I'm going to read for you um, from chapter 3. Again, we'll read uh, uh, 24 through 27. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, and this again is after he just has the three men thrown into the fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administers, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men uh, on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Man, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Ooh. So who was the fourth? Through three in, right? It's four. It's four in there. If you remember a week or two back, and it's been said before, but Frank talked about the crimson thread that runs through the Bible from cover to cover. That crimson thread is Jesus. He is there, although he's not named in the, New, in the Old Testament. Uh, he is there all the way through, and everything in it points uh, to him. So he is this fourth. Um, I cannot tell you I'm absolutely 100% sure, but everything I've read, my thoughts, every, most people that, I, uh, that I've read about commentaries, they say that the fourth one in the fire was Jesus. Jesus. He's with us in the fire and the flood. There's a song Michael W. Smith sings. It uh, talks about, sings about the sovereignty of God. And a couple years ago, we were going through, it's going through some of the hardest times in my life, and that song was stuck in my head. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're with us in the fire and the flood. It's Jesus. So this fourth being, this fourth person in the furnace that astonished Nebuchadnezzar is Jesus. Uh, so what did God do? He showed up. He showed up in their midst. And uh, um, so Jesus saved them from the flames. He blessed them for their stand. Um, and we want to see what else happened uh, be, as a result of that. If we continue reading verses 28 through 30. Uh, after Nebuchadnezzar has been astonished at this, what he's seen here. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, and, the, and that angel was usually referred to as the angel of the Lord, which again usually is uh, um, a name for Jesus in the Old Testament, and delivered his servant who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. 
Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. We'll tell you what else happened here. There was a change in Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, I think he's still got a little bit of a rage issue, and he's still a little bit impetuous and irrational uh, because now he's threatening to rip people apart and burn their houses to ash heaps. But he's given honor and glory to the Lord God Almighty. The men did what they were supposed to do. Jesus showed up and did what he did best, and he changed the situation. He thwarted the plans of the enemies and the powers of darkness, and he received glory from a a pagan king who now was uh, uh, recognizing him and giving glory and honor to him. That is uh, piercing the darkness. I think, it is clear, I think it is clear in this situation how darkness was, how Jesus overcome the, the darkness in the, situation, the enemy in this situation. Um, one thing I want to make very clear to you, um, don't misunderstand this passage. This is wonderful one. If you, this is a wonderful passage. It's a great story. But if you take this home and say, if I know God's Word, if I obey God's Word, um, and if I have the correct motivations, Jesus is going to show up and save me from all my persecution, suffering, and hurt. That's not what we need to take home from this passage. Um, what we take home from this passage is that Jesus will always be with you. These three men were saved um, for the glory of God, but there's been many, many more who were not saved, um, but still uh, they, they, with their, their life and their death brought glory to God. Let me uh, uh, read you uh, a little bit about some of these men. Um, Stephen, the first martyr, uh, first New Testament martyr, he was stoned for his belief and testimony for Jesus Christ. Here's an interesting tidbit. While he was being stoned, Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, who we were still uh, uh, studying from his words today, and people were still being introduced through Christ to him today, was watching. Hmm, interesting. James, before he was be beheaded, acted with such extraordinary courage while approaching his executioner that his accuser, moved by his behavior, repented, confessed his faith in Jesus, and the two were beheaded together. Wow, God got glory. The church continued to grow. Philip, Andrew, Peter, Jude, Bartholomew, and Simon crucified. James, the brother of Jesus, and Timothy beaten to death. Mark dragged to death. Saul, Paul, uh, be, um, beheaded uh, for his belief and his faith in uh, Jesus Christ. Um, Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Luke was hanged. And God continues, continues to receive glory. The church continues to grow all because they knew God's truth. They did not comp uh, compromise it. Uh, they lived and died for the glory of God. And through it all, through the persecution, and very likely because of this persecution, Jesus was shared with the nations and the church continued to grow. I want to share a couple more accounts of less known saints Sorry, maybe this isn't encouraging to you, but uh, um, uh, hopefully it will be if you think about it a little bit. Um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's an old book and it is just full page after page after page of faithful saints who were martyred uh, for the sake of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to read some excerpts. In Mount Ararat, many were crucified, crowned with thorns and spears running to their sides in imitation in Christ's passions. 
uh, Eustachius, a brave and successful Roman commander, was by the emperor ordered to join an idolatrous sacrifice to celebrate some of his own victories. But his faith, being a Christian in his heart, was so much greater than his vanity that he nobly refused it. Enraged at the denial, the ungrateful emperor forgot the service of this skillful commander and ordered him and his whole family to be martyred. At the martyrdom of Faustines and Jovita, brothers and citizens of Brescia, their torments were so many and their patience so great that Calisarius, a pagan, beholding them, was struck with admiration and exclaimed in a kind of ecstasy, Great is the God of the Christians, for which he was apprehended and suffered a similar fate. And the church continues to grow and God continues to receive glory. Germanicus, Germanicus, something like that, tough names, I'm trying to get them right. A young man, but a true Christian, being delivered to the wild beast on account of his faith, behaved with such astonishing courage that several pagans became converts to a faith which inspired such fortitude. I want to remind you, Jesus will not always rescue you from your persecution, but know that his words remain as true today as they were 2,000 plus years ago when he spoke them to his disciples. And again, we read them in Matthew 28, 20. Jesus said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I have seen the kingdom of darkness grow exponentially. Healthy two-parent homes are in a minority. Drug abuse, drug addiction is an epidemic. Disdain and disrespect for and disbelief in God is accepted as normal. Lack of commitment prevails. Lawlessness brings notoriety and fame. Our communities have become numb to the things that are displeasing to God and completely ignorant of His will. The battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness rages. And oftentimes when we look around from what we see, darkness is gaining ground. I wonder this morning, and I'm going to address you as children of God, brothers and sisters, if you, was accepted, if you have accepted the gift that, offered, that Jesus offered to you to make you acceptable in the eyes of the Father. I want to ask you this morning, is it time for us to get into God's Word regularly and know His heart? Is it time for us to know His will? To understand what is pleasing to Him and what is disobedient? Is it time for us to then live accordingly and refuse to compromise His truth or our testimony? Is it time to put aside our selfish motivation for our comfort and our safety and needs and start living for the glory of Jesus Christ and to be a part of the growing church. One day Jesus will say enough is enough. And with the word, he will end the raging war between light and darkness, between good and evil. And he will forever claim the victory that he has already won. Darkness will be pierced for eternity. The enemy will be cast into hell and we, the blessed, will be ushered into an eternity of light with our Lord and Savior. Does that excite you? Give me an amen. Amen. Good. Never go wrong by giving the Lord's Word an amen. So, um, and we will be in eternity of light with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Until that day, my prayer is that we would live with the attitude and gratitude 
of here's another example from Fox's Books of Martyr. Polycarp. Yes, that's the name. Polycarp was a bishop of Smyrna who was uh, sentenced to death. And when he was counseled that his life would be spared if he denied Christ, he answered, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Let me leave you with a verse. Words from Jesus, Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. A city that is built upon a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. I think we should step up and start piercing the darkness for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And again, I prayed it earlier, but Lord, this is a seed that has been planted in our hearts. Nurture that seed. Grow that seed. Help us to understand the full depth of your truth. Help us to understand what it means to pierce the darkness. Help us to serve you better. To live for you in a way that is worthy of the calling that you have given us. Lord, you are awesome. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity this morning. We have to, to uh, share in communion together and uh, um, remember what you have done for us. Lord, I pray more than anything that you are pleased with what goes on in this place. I pray that you receive glory and honor. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.